We're going to be over in Mark chapter 6 today. Mark chapter 6, looking out beyond your ability. How many were up on Facebook this morning and saw what we were getting into? Appreciate all of you. <laughs> oh my. Well, we talked about it last week, the end of it, what we were getting into. We're looking at things that are beyond our ability. When people ask us things that seem impossible. I just came upon some things that some people had gone through the Word of God for and looked at something beyond the initial meeting. Some of these you might be familiar with. I actually scratched some of them out because uh, we kind of know them all, but some of those. But who was the greatest financier in the Bible? The greatest financier in the Bible. Well, that would be Noah. He was floating in his stock while everyone else was in liquidation. <laughs> Who was the greatest female financier in the Bible? Well, that was Pharaoh's daughter. She went down to the bank of the Nile and drew out a little prophet. <laughs> what kind of man was Boaz before he got married? He was ruthless. <laughs> Who was the first drug addict in the Bible? Well, that would be Nebuchadnezzar. He was on grass for seven years. What kind of motor vehicles are in the Bible? Now, most people know about the Accord and things like that, so we know we, we skip by that one. But did you know that Jehovah drove out Adam and Eve? He drove them out of the garden in a fury? <laughs> that David's triumph was heard throughout the land? Second Chronicles, I'm sorry, yeah, Second Corinthians 48. That's not the right one, but in Second Corinthians, it describes going out in service in a Volkswagen Beetle. Did you miss that? We are pressed in every way, but not cramped beyond movement. <laughs> Who is the great, greatest comedian in the Bible? Samson. He brought the house down. <laughs> now, most of us know where the first baseball game occurred in the Bible. In the big inning. But did you also know that... <laughs> you didn't know that one? I thought I were going to do that one. In the big inning. Did you know also that Eve stole first, Adam stole second, Cain struck out Abel, and it ended when the prodigal son came home. <laughs> also, the giants and angels were rained out. Which Bible character had no parents? That would be Joshua. He was the son of none. Oh. <laughs> now, that's some people who went beyond what the Bible actually said. Beyond the, outs, the obvious meaning of things. And we want to look at some things that are beyond our ability. Beyond our ability. Things that are, seem to be greater than us. What do we do when people ask us things that are beyond our ability? We can cower and pull back from the challenge. We can look at the times we failed at it. Or some, something like that before. Or we can decide to get it that it can't be done. How many times have we been told, some, can you get this done? No, I can't be done. Or we can rise to the challenge. I looked at this as part of this series and I was uh, surprised at how much this is in the Bible. I was really surprised at the effect on us. When I began to meditate on this and look at this in the Word of God, it is astounding the effect that this attitude has on our life on a regular basis. 
and we need to make sure we get past it. We talked about it before in the frustration area, area here that when frustration sets in, we feel first of all and most often powerless. Secondly, confused. And third, unjustly treated. We feel powerless. We feel, cute, we feel confused. We feel unjustly treated. We saw that there's a difference between frustration and anger. Anger is directed at us for, its co- for a cause such as laziness, neglect, or disobedience. And frustration, we get that by using the wrong tools, by using the right tools in the wrong way, by using no tools or not doing anything at all. Anger is directed at us for the purpose of change or correction. Whereas frustration builds in us for the purpose of dismay, discouragement, and dysfunction. We looked at Peter and John and that story with the lame man who was out begging alms and every day he would come to the gate and every day he would alms, alms, alms every day for all those years just asking and asking. Was there any expectation with his asking? No expectation, just asking. And too often Christians come to God asking with no expectation and they receive nothing. They receive nothing. With one sentence, Peter was able to change him from asking, asking, asking to looking at him with expectation and a condition that had survived for 40 years was changed. We saw that this man probably even had some animosity towards Jesus and towards Jesus' ministry and refused to be healed even under that. But Peter came along and found a way. God gave it to him. Would that not have looked like an impossible situation? Well, let's get on here in our... Our passage. There's, this story is accounted in all four Gospels, but we're going to look at it mostly in Mark chapter 6. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught, because Jesus had sent them out. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in a boat by themselves. Have you ever had those days where you are so busy you don't have time to eat? It's just one thing after another after another. And at the end of that day, how do you feel? Starved? Starved? Yeah, that'd be one way. Do you feel tired? I mean, if you are going and going and going and you don't have time to eat, we get exhausted. We get tired. We're just looking forward to the time to sit down. Sometimes we can get so tired and we're hungry, haven't eaten. How many have ever been in that situation where you're not sure, which should I do first, rest or eat? (laughs) It's really, you're trying to figure out which one you ought to do because you're both. And you're, you're both a whole lot. And that these disciples were that way. And Jesus recognized they were tired. They were hungry. They had put everything in and they were at their end. And he said, look, that's going over here. Well, you know this place. We've been here before. It's nice. It's deserted. Nobody goes there. You know why nobody goes there? Because there's nothing there. It's a deserted place because there's nothing there to attract people. So they get there by boat, hop in the boat, and they can just head on over and Get over there because as long as they stayed where they were, people kept coming. Oh, we have another need. Oh, we have this. Oh, can we, can you teach us about this? Oh, questions and needs kept coming up. So he said, look, we're going to get some rest. We need to go away. That's going over here. We put this in your outline. People tend to be selfish. Don't they? People tend to be selfish and look for their needs to be met over the needs of others. You knew this as a parent when you're, Raising your kids. 
most, most of those days that you were not even having time to stop and eat because you were taking care of things that the kids had need of, kids had need of, kids had need of. And when you finally get to a spot where you think you can take care of your own needs, what happens? The kids have another need. We can tend to be selfish. People can tend to be selfish. Don't let that surprise you. Just understand, people can tend to be selfish. They want their needs met. They're not really looking at your needs. Verse 33, But the multitude saw them departing, and they thought to themselves, they're probably tired and need some rest. We'll leave them alone. <laughs> That's what it should have said, huh? <laughs> but the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. So there's a lot of folks who knew him, and they said, oh, I know where he's going. You come and follow me. We can get there faster by land than they can get there in that boat. And they ran over there, and they got other people, and they all met him there. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw, they got out of the boat and they saw a great multitude. <laughs> this is supposed to be a deserted place. No one's supposed to come here. I got a great multitude. He saw a great multitude and he was angry and got back in the boat and went back. <laughs> oh, he didn't do that, did he? He saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep having, or not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Most times people are realize, realizing their physical need over their other needs, but Jesus, the first thing He saw needed to be done was He needed to teach them. And so He began to teach them many things. Now, if you're going to teach many things, do you do this in five minutes? Do you do this in ten? It takes a little while, doesn't it? The disciples, had already they're already tired. They hadn't eaten yet. Probably didn't eat in the boat over. They're still hungry. They're still tired. And now they have another meeting. You got a multitude there. They all want to come to Jesus. So that the 12 disciples have to get out and they got to be ushers. They got to, you know, be catchers and whatever else that they have going on in the meeting. So they leave one meeting. They end up in another. Wasn't intentional. But since the plan was to get away into a deserted place, Jesus, by doing so, created a very unique need. We now have a multitude of people in a place that is not ready to handle them. Have you ever been in a place where there is a great multitude, but there are not enough things around to handle them? I'm sure we've all been in there at times and have run into some of those things. Christian and I, we went out uh, one year, first year ever, we went to see the Eagles at their camp. Their camp up in um, Lehigh. And we picked a particular day. We were thinking about the, you know, what day of the week we want to go. And so we picked this one particular day that we decided to go. And so we went on out there and we got there early and there was a whole lot of people. But we got there in time. We got parked and we got our, uh, we, we got a ball. So in case we found anybody, we could have them sign the ball. And uh, we went on out there. Just people all over. This is our first time we'd ever been there. Never knew anything about it. We just thought it was always this way. And so we got over there and, and uh, saw the practice. And as the practice was over, people were going to go and, and eat. And so we went over to see about eating something as well. And we saw the line for the food. It was incredibly long. There were two places to eat. One had French fries. That was it. Then the other one had uh, a little uh, mixture of some other things. There were, I believe the count was somewhere around 25,000 people that descended on Lehigh that day. And they are usually around two or 3,000. They set a record for the most amount of people ever to come out to camp 
to watch a team practice. The most amount of people ever in the NFL occurred over there, Lehigh College. Now, when we were over there, we were sitting in there in the practice. We saw the line to get in. But there was no more parking. They filled up every parking place at the college. There was no more places to park. They were parking on places that they probably shouldn't have been parking on, but parked there anyway. And there were still people waiting to come on in. They would have had more people if they had more places to park them than the numbers that they had. We, did, we thought this was normal. But we found out what it's like when you have two places to eat and 25,000 people descend upon it. Everyone was surprised that day. But here we have no places to eat. Not even a french fry stand. <laughs> Nothing. It is a deserted place. And we have 5,000 men. Most likely they brought their wives. Most likely they brought some of their kids. So you're looking, if they each only had two children, you're looking easily at 20,000 people. But more than likely, they had more than two kids. We're looking at a great multitude of people. Here's what's astounding. They're going to be served by 12 people and Jesus. Can you imagine a crowd of somewhere in the neighborhood of 20,000 people being served by 12 disciples who are tired, hungry, and had just gotten finished a whole long day of ministry? Now, people showed up with needs but not provisions. How often do people do that? They show up with needs, but they don't have any provisions. <laughs> they just show up with needs. So it brings out the inevitable crisis. Whole lot of people, whole lot of hungry people, and no food. When the day was far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. Now, this is a crowd who really is hungry for the ministry of Jesus because they've had no food. No one's fed them while he's been teaching them these many things and they've stayed. There's no water to drink unless, you know, there's some brooks or something nearby that they could get something from. So thirsty, hungry, no one's leaving. They're all staying around. They all want to stay. So the disciples are foreseeing there's going to be a problem here. And so they come to Jesus about the problem. We're seeing a, an issue coming up here and we really need to send them home so that they can go. I've been in some long meetings before. Some of you have been in longer meetings than I have. I remember one particular meeting. Brother Hagen was leading uh, one of the prayer seminars. And when I was down there at school, when I was going down there to school, he went on for a really long time. After I left school and came back, he went on for a long time. And then before he went away, he went on for a, a time. But it kept getting shorter. But when I was down there, uh, I remember one particular meeting. We were in there. It was 1130 at night. Meeting started at 7. It was 1130 at night. And I remember him saying, well, I don't know about you all, but I'm going home. <laughs> and he just left. Four and a half hours of meeting. He was tired. And he went on home. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. So they're concerned that they have nothing to eat. I bet they're also concerned that the disciples have had nothing to eat. I bet you they'd love one of those sticker bars right about now. Uh, when the day was far spent. Verse, in Mark chapter 30, uh, verse 37, chapter 6, But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. Now what's Jesus asking them to do? 
something extremely difficult. In fact, is Jesus not asking them to do the impossible? Is Jesus, and you think your boss was demanding. He tells 12 people to give them something to eat in a place where there's no food. I think that's a demanding boss. What do you think? You give them something to eat. I like how Luke put it. Luke put it this way in verse 13 of chapter 9. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more. Oops, I put the wrong one in there. I meant to grab the other one. It's, uh, it may have been, it's probably in Matthew then that it was. Because I copied the wrong one over. Where he said to them, they do not need to go home. You give them something to eat. They do not need to go home. You give them something to eat. What did they see? They saw, here's the problem and here's the need. The need is they need to go home. The problem is they're all going to be hungry. There's no food out here. And they said, now, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Now, where they pulled this thing out from, I don't know. Did they have 200 denarii on there? That's 200 days uh, two days worth of work. 200 days worth of work to feed this crowd of people. They're thinking might get it done. Should we go out and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Well, again, where are they? Deserted place. You've got to go a long way. And then you've got to bring 200 denarii worth of bread on out there. And then it's just bread. You give them something to eat. In Luke chapter 9, 9 verse 13, it says, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fishes unless we go and buy food for all these people. So they're seeing a problem. They're seeing... Jesus' request as unreasonable. How many of you all been at work and your boss gave you an unreasonable request? Jesus is giving them an unreasonable request. You've all thought your boss was wrong. And yet here's Jesus giving an unreasonable... Is it not an unreasonable request? Is it reasonable to think that 12 people with no food can feed in excess of 20,000 people? So Jesus doesn't like the solution. Matthew fourteen sixteen. as they said this, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They don't need it. Many times, I had this in your outline, but I had to pull it because I had too many notes in your outline. So, it's not there. But it's in mine. Many times we see a problem, we identify the needs. How many times you have to see a problem, you identify the needs, and see the solution as something that solves those particular needs. Isn't that the way we do it? We see a need. We see a solution to solve those particular needs. What do we have? We have hungry people. We need a solution to solve those hungry people. There's no food here. The solution to solve them is to send them home where they have food. If we get the need wrong, we likely will get the solution wrong. Look what Jesus said again in Matthew 14, verse 16. They do not need to go away. He is challenging what they have come up with as a need. They said they need to go home. He says they don't need to go home. You give them something to eat. Well, look at this. I mean, they're going home eventually. Right? Eventually, they're going home. But Jesus says they don't need to go home. Let's give them something to eat before they go. Verse 38. But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. Now, 
reading in between the lines here. When they probably came to him, they probably said, as most people do, we have nothing. And so Jesus sends them back. I don't believe that's true. Go on back and see what you got. So they went back and they started asking people, I guess, and, you know, what you got, what you got, and they got, you know, the one little, one little stuff there. And they found out that they had five loaves and two fish. One place they said, but what is that among so many? <laughs> what, what is this? We got 5,000 men, wives, kids. What is five loaves and two fish? Two fish. Two. When we are asked to do something challenging, we tend to look at a couple of things. First off, we tend to look at what we have. Isn't that a normal way we go? When I look at to do something challenging or impossible, I tend to look at what I have. Uh, what we can get. The disciples, shall we go into town? Buy 200 denarii worth of bread? What we can see. We look at what we can get. We look at what we see. What do we see? What's, what's around? What do we have? Well, this is a deserted place. This is what we see. So because we see it, this is where we're limited to. We tend to Look at what we know. I try, I try and solve problems with what I know. But what I know is not always sufficient. Lastly, what we have done. I look at what we have done that was successful. I look at what we have done that failed. And these guys are probably thinking, I have fed less people on five loaves and two fishes and they came out hungry. We're going to feed this group with five loaves and two fish? Really? As long as we stay with these things, we are limited. Here's where we need to go. Jesus and the Word inspire us to go beyond this into what we can... And there's three things here listed. Five in the other one, but only three in this one. So it's going to be real easy for you to, to, to do this for. First off, what we can administer. What we can administer. That there are things that God has given us that we are to administer. God has given us the ministry gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We are to administrate them. Peter and John came to the beautiful gate and found the man who was lame from his mother's womb and said to him, such as I have, I give you. What's he doing? Administrating the power of healing that he was given. We, if we are going to go beyond and rise up to the challenge, we have got to administer what God has given us. Not just what we have, what we can see, so forth. Secondly, we have to go beyond this into what we can imagine. We have to look at what we can administer and we need to look at what we can imagine. Ephesians 3, verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly above, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. We administrate the power that works on in the inside of us, but we must think, we must imagine great things. If we only imagine what has already occurred, we don't change. People had to imagine flying, driving in cars. People had to imagine 
new things before they ever happened. We've got to imagine. We've got to let God develop our imagination to solve the problem. Administer, imagine, and number three, discover. Let God speak revelation to you. Discover new things. Discover new abilities. Now, if you look at them together, you've got A-I-D. When you need to administer aid into a certain situation, think of administer, imagine, discover. Administer, imagine, discover. Too often, people have come to us and asked us things and our first response is to shut it down. I can't do that. I cannot do that. Why? Because I've never done it. Because we're not imagining those things. We're not imagining what we can do. We have limited the scope, the sphere of solving this problem with what I know, with what I understand, with where I'm at right now. I'm not going away from the problem and allowing God to speak to me. How can I solve this? How can I create this? We need to have some people around us that will help us to imagine something great. God will speak some great things to us. But oh, it helps us to have some people around us that can imagine these things. I told you some stories before about Ken's Pizza, but when I worked there, I happened to have picked, of course, it was all my own doing. <laughs> no, of course, God led me to that one. I happened to pick the one store in the entire chain of Ken's Pizza restaurants that had people who could run an oven. Not just one, not just two, not just three. They had four cooks who could run four full pizza ovens on a Friday night. Because when the pizza ovens got full on a Friday night, they stayed full for three hours. There was no stopping. There was no breaking. You had to manage those ovens for three hours they would work up to it for three hours. They would stay full and then they would start to peter off a little bit. You had to do that. People had to, had to do that. I had people, when I started working there, who challenged me. One person can run these ovens on a Friday night. And so I rose up to the challenge and I became number five on the list of that. But then something happened to the Ken's Pizza chain. And some of the guys who were before me, they were in college and they graduated from college and they went off and sought employment in other jobs and they weren't running pizza ovens. And the numbers of people who could run the pizza ovens on a Friday night in the Ken's Restaurant Systems began to dwindle and began to become less and less. And one time there was a manager who was in our restaurant on a Friday night. I don't know why he was in our restaurant for a Friday night. And he was watch watching and at this point I am the only one left at Ken's Pizza in this particular restaurant who can run the ovens on a Friday night, which meant I have no Friday nights off. But he came in and he was watching this thing and he said, wow, we have two people that run the ovens. We've never had one person because no one ever get, opened their imaginations to it. And so one time he called up to our restaurant and he said, look, we're short. I'm short three people. Can you spare Steve and send him down? He called for me. So I went on up there and helped him out. They were short three people, two waitresses and a cook. When I got done, he said, we were actually over staff tonight. 
because in our restaurant, we expanded our imagination. And we, we had cooks who, when the pizzas were done, would take them out to the tables. We could run the ovens and carry the pizzas out to the tables. We could answer the phones, run the register, take the pizzas out to the tables and run the ovens because people in our restaurant pushed us. They expanded our imaginations and no one thought it was impossible. When we began to do some things, the people thought, ah, you can't do that. That's not possible. The Word of God tells us because over in, uh, I believe it was Mark chapter 9, Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, when he said, Why they couldn't cast out the demon spirit. For assuredly I say to you, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Nothing will be impossible to you. Now, this is why I was thinking about this and why this became such a big deal. If you are told from the Word that nothing will be impossible to you and someone in the world comes to you with a request and your job and they say, can you do this? And you say, no, that's not possible. What are you doing? You are contradicting the Word and you are not allowing the Word to have a work in you. And how is it that you think you can turn this on when you want things to be possible and turn it off when you don't? Things are either possible to you or they are impossible. Too often, we have adopted the mentality of the people that are around us in the world who feel certain things are impossible. And we've let that sink on the inside of us. And so when people come to us and say, can you do this? No, I can't do that. Instead of rising to the occasion and saying, I'm going to give that a shot. I'm going to give that a try. I'm going to, yeah, we can do this. Now to him who was able to do exceedingly abundantly above all, all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Above all that we ask or think. Oh, we got... There's growth. Certainly there is growth there. You know, we were down there in Keswick Restaurant. I didn't start out running the ovens. I could barely handle two when I first started. <laughs> and you know what? Since then, I've gone down to visit Tulsa a few times. And as soon as I showed up, you know what they told me over at Ken's? Can you work? I said, I sure can, because <laughs> I missed running them ovens. And I found out that after a year or two being off, I wasn't as good. <laughs> I, had, I had lost a step. A couple of them, actually. But you see, we can grow, and we become better and better. We can always keep reaching for things and reaching for things. Jesus wants us to do this, because what did he say to his disciples? You feed them. Didn't he say that? Now, in John's Gospel, if you went over to John's Gospel and you read it, you know why Jesus said that to him? Because he knew what he was going to do. That's why he said it to him. That's why he doesn't give them a hard time when they say, oh, we, we can't. <laughs> Other people sit down. That's all right. First off, Jesus, Jesus was blind to a number of things. He did not see their obvious inability. 
Don't you hate that when Jesus does not see that you cannot do something? I mean, there is nothing worse than when Jesus says to you, go ahead and do that. And I can't do that. I've never done that. Jesus wouldn't hear their excuses. When people come up and make excuses to Jesus why they can't get a thing, thing done, what does Jesus do? You don't want to hear it. They came to Jesus. They said they had nothing. Jesus said to them, go look again. You got something. Now here's the thing. If you remember, we, went, we taught on this a long time ago. You may remember this part. But they looked at what they had compared to their need. This is what we always do. We look at what we have compared to the need that we have at hand. Instead, Jesus looked at what they had compa- uh, combined with the power of God. And this is where we miss it. If you can get the idea that nothing shall be impossible to you, then you cannot be stopped. But if you have told yourself over and over again, I can't do that. I can't get that done. I've never been able to figure that out. I don't know the answer. I can't get there. I can't accomplish that. I don't know. I don't possess. This isn't within my... If we're always throwing out excuses, then nothing is really possible to us. But the Word of God says that nothing shall be impossible to you. We are, conf- we are contracting, con- conflicting with Scripture day in and day out. And this is why a whole lot of this stuff does not work for us because we keep sowing seeds to believe that the impossible is impossible and only the possible is possible. Is it possible to feed 5,000 men, their wives and their kids on five loaves and two fish? Is it possible that a man who is laying from his mother's womb for 40 years would rise up in an instant and walk? Is it possible that a dead man who was dead for four days would walk out of the tomb? Is it possible that people gathered at the Red Sea with an army behind them would actually walk through it? Is it possible that people that are thirsty on a desert with no water can get water from a rock? Is it possible that you can defeat a superior army by digging ditches in a field? Wasn't the Word of God. Is it possible to win a battle putting the praisers in front? Is it possible to knock down a wall by marching around it? Is it possible to create the world by speaking it into existence? Is it possible to create man from dust? (laughs) We are staring in the face of impossibilities constantly becoming possible. And yet, when we see something that challenges us, well, can't do that. We're not done yet. He goes out here in verse 39. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the grain grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. They organized them all. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled 
And they took up twelve baskets full of fragments and of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about five thousand men. About five thousand men. Now go back into some of the things we've gone over the last couple of weeks. How did people receive miracles, healings, and such things like that? They asked with expectation. When people received miracles, they asked and had expectation with it. But what came first? The asking. Even the man who was laying at the at the gate, alms, alms, he's asking, and they just got him so that he was now expecting, and things changed for them. The asking is a demand or the draw on the power of God. That's what the asking is. When we ask something of God, when we ask for something to be done, we are making a demand. On the power of God. It's just like when you go up and you flip the light switch. What are you doing? I am asking. I am making a demand on the power supply to bring light. When I turn the key in my car ignition, what am I doing? I am putting a demand on that engine. I am asking that engine to start. Before power comes, the asking goes first. Someone needs to be doing the asking. So when people come up to us, even unsaved people, even heathen people who come up to us and ask us something that is impossible, what are they doing? Making a demand. They're making a demand. All Jesus needed when he was in ministry here, all that Peter and John needed, all that other disciples needed was someone to make a demand. And the power of God flowed and things began to happen. But not until people made a demand. Even with the miracles that Moses did in Egypt, he made a demand. Even when Elijah called down fire, he made a demand. He called it down. goes over and over. You'll see that. Now, here's here's where you need to get this. Please get this down. If you get nothing else out of this, get this part of it down. If our responses cause people to stop asking, what will the result be? If my response to the request for the impossible is a such a response that discourages people from asking me the impossible, what will happen? People will stop asking. If I get irate at them, if I hit them over the head, if I abuse them in some way, ignore them, or in some way discourage them from asking me the impossible, then what will they do? Stop asking of me anyway. They may still ask the impossible, but they're going to stop asking it of me. Will God stop moving? I put it this way. No. Just not through you. (laughs) God's still going to move, but He's just not going to move through you. God will find someone else. Word of God says that God looks to and fro throughout the whole earth to find someone on whom He can show Himself strong. Alright, if I can't move through you, get out of the way. I'll go over here and get someone else. And then when we come to God, oh God, I have a need. Oh God, I have a need. We've turned off the power of God. We've stopped it from flowing. But I want to start it again here. 
Come on. We should get ourselves to the point where we long for people to ask the impossible of us. I should have an attitude that says, oh, I'm just waiting for somebody to ask me something that seems to be impossible. I go into work, ask me something that seems to be impossible. Just ask. Go ahead. <laughs> no one's ever done that before. They'll come up to you, man, I hate to ask this of you, but do you think you can? <laughs> what are you going to do? Because you are born again Christians. Spirit-filled. Knowing the Word of God. There is no one who should be more resistant to saying no than you. No one. Because you have the power of God working through you. But if you keep saying no, eventually you learn that the impossible is impossible. What's possible is only what I can see and only what I've done. No. You got to get out there. You know, even when I was learning how to run four full ovens, I burned a few pizzas. I messed up on a few because I was learning. I didn't quite get it done. I didn't say, you know what? I can't even run two ovens. I'm going to give up on this. I'm not going to do it anymore. No, you stay with it. You got some failures along the way, but you st- no, I can, I can see myself doing this. I can see this going on. I can see this happening. We should long for people to ask the impossible of us. Don't get exasperated when people ask you something that you don't think can be done. Think, you know what? This is an opportunity. God can inspire me. God can give me a way to do this that's never been done. When they started making personal computers, you know how big they were? And they didn't have anywhere near the power they do now. What if we stayed with Bill Gates' first thought? I think 640K of RAM is sufficient for anyone. <laughs> now we've got computers with 8 and 16 gigabytes worth of RAM. Some of them are still a little starved. we got processors that are so small, and now they put two processors on the chip, and now they've got the quad out there. They put four. I heard a story. You know, you know about the, the quad processor? Four processors on one square where they used to put one processor. Four computers processing information on your computer. This section can take care of this process. This section can take care of this process. This section can take care of this process. And this one, a a different one. But between the time when they had the dual core and quad core, there was a small window when they had three But I heard a story about the three. You know what the three was? The three was a quad processor with one of them turned off. (laughs) That's what they did. Because they they wanted to stage you up. Because, you know, you'll pay so much for a three and then later on you'll pay that much for a four. Whereas if they just jumped you right to the four, they would have lost some money. So they just turned one of the the processors off. (laughs) And so the three actually was a four just with one switched off. But who who would have thought? Well, somebody had to imagine it, didn't they? That on that one processor, we can do four. Now it's easy for us to think, oh, I bet it's going to have eight in there pretty soon. And they make the computers smaller and smaller and able to do so many different things. And mm, 
because someone is able to imagine. And they're not even born again. Some of them. But they just say, you know what? This is possible. Stop looking at problems as being impossible. And look at it as an opportunity for God to help you out in your aid. Administrating, imagining, and discovering. That I'm going to, I got an impossible problem here, Father God, but there's a solution. There's a solution to it. How can we get this done? How can we get this going? And you think, and you ponder, and you wait, and sooner than later, God speaks an answer to you. I never thought of doing it that way. Oh, this will be good. This will be good. We can get this done this way. Now notice, when the day is done, they have more than they had when they began. They started out with five loaves and two fishes. They came up with 12 basketfuls full of fragments. They had more when they finished than when they began. If you will take on the impossible as though it was possible and put out what you have, you will gain more in the end. You will come out with a better understanding, more knowledge, more to administrate. If God will see that you will take the power of God and administrate it, He's going to give you more power. If God sees that you take the power of God and do nothing with it and say, no, 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 it's impossible, why would He give you more? You don't need more. You're not doing anything with what you got. When you take on the impossible as if it was possible through the power of God, we end up with more than we had. When the widow was approached by Elijah, tell you what, you go and you make me a cake first and the barrel will not run out until the famine is over. Is that an impossible thing? Did she end up with more in the end than she had in the beginning? Because she only had enough to get her through one meal. Then she, she lasted years. You've got to stop looking at impossible situations as a problem. And look at impossible situations as an opportunity for the power of God to flow, to set you apart, to cause you to rise in your job. Because you will. We've got to change our thinking on the impossible. If you have ever become frustrated because your employer asked you to do something that that sounds unreasonable, no employer should ask that. They're not even paying me extra. You're missing the point. You're missing the point. You've got to change your thinking. If you change your thinking on this, how the power of God works through you in other situations will become amazingly clear. Your whole life will change. This is so important for you to get it. I was pretty sure that after one week you would not get this. I am pretty sure that after one week you're not quite going to have this down. So I'm intending to spend the next two weeks on, the, on just this aspect. Making the impossible possible. Because this is huge. You've got to get this. If it, I was like I told you, I just saw this. Well, that's, that's a good thing. But then I began to meditate on more and more, and saw it more and more in the Word of God. It changes your whole way of thinking. 
So you gotta, you gotta see it in the Word of God. I could go to almost any story now, almost any story in the Word and show you this attitude. But we're just gonna pick a couple of them. We're gonna go back through and, and take a look at these. As we uh, close, we're gonna finish off with a story. Remember I told you two weeks ago about a story? And you would have gone through this week without hearing it too, except that Sharon caught me. And she reminded me that I said I would give it. So you have Sharon to thank you for this one. How many have ever thought where you work it is impossible to reach the people for the Lord? No one listens. We've got to stop thinking about impossible situations and think possible, right? There's a story that this one pastor shared about his work, where he was working at. And he said he would come on in to work and he would share Jesus with people. And uh, one by one, they would get born again. But then there's this another person at work and they would come out right behind them. And they would get them into legalism because he didn't take them out to his church. He didn't like his church. And so this other guy, he would come along. He would bring them out to his church and it was a legalistic church. And pretty soon, one by one, he would get them born again and this person would get them to go away from God. They wouldn't even talk to him anymore about the Lord. But he said uh, after a while that person left and so did all the other people and there was hardly anybody else there at the job. But there was this one, one girl who was there and he told his wife, he says, I'm going to, I forget what her name was. He said, I'm going to witness, uh, we'll just call her Lisa. I'm going to witness to Lisa. And so he went in the next day and he said, Lisa, you are sharp, you are smart and you can do anything your mind, you set your mind to. He said, I did that for 10 days straight, every day I came into work, I said, Lisa, you are smart, you are sharp, and you can do anything you put your mind to. On the 11th day, she said to him when he came in, I know, I know, and she repeated it. I'm sharp, I'm smart, and I can do anything I put my mind to. And she did this for a couple of days. She'd beat him to the punch and she would say it herself. You know what she was doing? She's having a good confession. She's unsaved. Not a spiritual bone in her body as he described her. So uh, after a couple of days of that, he stopped her. He says, yeah, but I want to add something to it. I want to add, and Jesus has a wonderful plan for your life. So he would come in and he would begin to say, you're sharp, you're smart, you can do anything you put your mind to, and Jesus has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, it didn't take many days until she started to repeat that too. And she would say out of her own mouth, I'm sharp, I'm smart, I can do anything I put my mind to, and Jesus has a wonderful plan for my life. Well, after a few days of that, he went on, he tacked on something, he said, I got something else to tack on the end of that. He said, and Jesus died on the cross for my sins. It wasn't too many days until she repeated the whole thing. Every day they would come into work. I'm sharp, I'm smart, I can do anything I set my mind to. Jesus has a wonderful plan for my life and Jesus died on the cross for my sins. said that every day to start the work, work day. One day, she shared with them, she said, um, I have to go, I think it was a wedding or something of that nature and she had to fly in order to get there and she said, I am deathly afraid of flying. Is there anything you can do to help me out with that? And the reason she was deathly afraid of flying was she was afraid of dying. She prayed she'd get up there, the plane would crash, and she would die. And so he told her, he says, well, you get saved. You go on to heaven. And he began to minister on, on that, and she was open to hear it. And so he said, look, 
Sometime when you're at home, this is what, and he, he told her how to pray the prayer of salvation. And so that was it for that day. A couple of days later, he said he saw her come in and she had an unusual skip in her step. And she came over to him and she said, I did it. He said, you did what? She said, well, I woke up last night in a panic attack because I was thinking about this flight that I had to do. And so I got up out of bed and I just made that prayer. And so he said to her, he says, well, Lisa, he says, you're what we call born again. <laughs> she went on and off into the, into the plane flight, came on back and then quit her job and then one, got a job somewhere else and he never knew what happened to her after that. <laughs> but how many think it's impossible to share Jesus where you work? But you see, God has a way that He can do it. He can give you inspiration. He can give you ideas because every person is different. But He's got a way that He can get you to minister to the people that are around you. He's got a way that you can share Jesus. That you can share the, the gospel of power, salvation, life, hope. You can get this to people. It's not impossible. It's possible. It's impossible if you think it. It's possible if you allow God to speak to you and help you out with it. Open up your eyes to see. What is it that you have called impossible? The reason it has not been done because you still see it as impossible. There is nothing that our God cannot do. How many times have we sung a song, there is nothing our God cannot do. But yet we'll go around in life, well, I can't do that. Well, that can't happen. Well, that'll never come about. <laughs> we are defeating ourselves at every turn. We need to look for those people who will challenge us, saved or unsaved, who will give us the impossible that we can turn it into the possible. Taking the impossible and turning it into what is it in your life that you see is impossible? What, do you, what goes on in your head? This will never change. I'll never get past this. I'll never get this. What is it that you need to change? You need to take it to God and say, Father God, I need, three, I need one of three things. I need to administrate what you've given me. I need to imagine or I need to discover. Any one of those things will set you free because each one of those things is powerful. Administrate the gifts, the power of God that He's given you. Imagine the power of God working or discover the revelation that you need to make that happen. What is it? Would you all stand up with me? Today is our communion Sunday. Jesus at the cross did what was thought to be impossible. Buying an entire world who was caught up in sin. The devil probably didn't think it was possible. But he determined it was. What he did at the cross brought about victory. Sickness and disease was taken out because of his body. Sin, power of death, unrighteousness. That hold was broken because of his blood. Let's remember what Jesus did as we Take the communion elements. Because what is impossible in our minds is only impossible because we think it. We laugh at the people 
who thought that flight was impossible and mocked those people. We laugh now at the people who thought that shooting a rocket out of the atmosphere was impossible. We laughed at the people who thought no one would ever get to the moon. We laugh at all those things because it's old hat for us. It's been done. We can't even imagine the days when if you wanted to get the notice word to someone that you had to give it to someone on a horse. Morris Code. Things of that nature to get the information out. Now all we do, they could be all the way across the other side of the world. We can pick up our cell phone and we can dial them. We don't even have to be home. We can call from anywhere. We can send a text message with ease. And all what people went through to send a text message via Morse code, <laughs> via telegraph. <laughs> oh, but they would think these are all natural things. But if we do not get past the natural, how are we going to get into the spiritual? Too many natural things have been setting us back. We've got to get past it. What we're going to look at here, especially next week, is a natural thing thought to be impossible. It had never been done before. And someone got the idea that it could be done. Someone's got to come up with that idea. Jesus, on the night that He was betrayed, delivered up to die, brought His disciples into the upper room, took the bread,